0: Tonight we will be fed out of God's Holy Word by Brother David Freund, assisted by our elder brother, Bob Freund. Before we open God's Word, let's unite our hearts in prayer. Our gracious and our loving Father, how blessed are we whom Thou doth love. Father, we thank thee that thou hast heard our prayers on behalf of our brother Joe. Father, there are few in our midst that have labored as much as brother Joe, year after year, tirelessly, for others to be able to come and separate themselves from the world to be taught by thee. Bless him, Father, above measure for his service to thee. And we pray, Lord, that if we can find favor in thy sight, that thou wilt continue to bless him with with healing and bless his family. Father, we pray that the example that Brother Joe has given over the years might be taken to heart by each one of us, that we might give more of ourselves to thee, that we might allow ourselves to be used by thee to help others to reach out and to cultivate a ground that can be prepared for the sowing of the seed by the good master himself. Now, Lord, we pray in this evening hour that thou wilt be with the children that have left, that thou wilt bless those that work with them. Father, we pray that thou wilt take thy servant and empty him of everything, and that thy spirit might come, that it might teach thy children this evening that the words of man might be at a distant place, and the words of the Son of God might touch all of our hearts, beginning with the one that stands before thy children now. Lord, we will thank thee for the blessings and the promises we know we shall receive through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Dear ones, a couple weeks ago the Lord laid a scripture on my heart that I would like to Read together with you and meditate on it with the Lord's help. That scripture is found in the gospel according to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. Beginning with the first verse. there were present at that season some that told of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, nay. But except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Or those eighteen upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew them. Think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you nay. But except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And he spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he unto the dressers of the vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit of this tree and find none. Cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. Through verse 9. Dear ones, we have a sobering scripture before us this evening. It's a scripture that some may find harsh, but yet has a tender and compassionate side it's a scripture that you really don't need to have problems to inter- you won't have problems interpreting it some may say don't tell me what the apostles said tell me what Christ said fine Jesus said except ye repent he shall perish that's pretty simple doesn't matter what language you use He that does not repent is damned. But you see, dear ones, and I don't know who the Lord has selected this scripture for. I know me, because I have some work to do. But perhaps you might be one of those like me that thought years ago you were pretty good, you're not that bad. You know, I come to church every Sunday, every Wednesday night. Go to youth group. Pray before I go to bed. Read my Bible. Repentance? Oh, that means reformation. Doing the best I can. Being good. Wrong. Brother said back home a few weeks ago, there's going to be a lot of good people in hell. Lots of them. And perhaps you might say, well, Brother David, that's, that's true. You know, I do need to repent, and, and there's, there's a few nights left in this week. And I'm going to do it Friday night because I know. I remember the stories that Mom and Dad told me about the Friday night sermons when Brother George would, would, would preach fire and brimstone and many would fill the benches in the front to wait and counsel with the brothers. I'm going to do that because I want to have that camp experience. My friend, outside of Christ, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Lots of them. And for years, that's where I was. Jesus said, except you repent, you're going to perish. There's no way out. It doesn't matter how good you think you are. Because the righteousness that we can bring is as filthy rags. The righteousness that a human being can bring is a stench in the nostrils of God because God is a holy God. It's not that God doesn't want to have you around, He does. He wants so badly to have you around that He sent His Son to die, the very Son whose words we read. And the fact, my friend, that you won't be there is not God's choosing, it's yours. Because God is a holy God. And as much as He may want to, He can't have you there unless you allow the blood of His Son to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I'd like to tell you about two men tonight. One's name was Bob. And the other's name was Jim. I learned to know Bob, I'm going to guess, 18 or 19 years ago. Bob was raised in a Christian home, went to church, went to youth group. Thought that maybe the church stuff was a little bit too strict. Maybe it it cramped his style a bit. So Bob went out and became a good man in society. You never read about Bob doing anything illegal or immoral in the papers. Bob was Bob. Had a house not far from where I live. Nice gray house sat up on a corner over a hill. Bob was diagnosed with cancer. So, guess what Bob did? Bob was smart. Bob came to church. You see, he's dying. Terminally ill. Bob came to camp, Massanetta Springs. I remember seeing Bob's car parked down below Richardson, the Richardson buildings. Those were luxury accommodations, till we came here. Bob never made it. At least that we know of. The last thing. I remember hearing the brothers say as they counseled with Bob was that Bob just couldn't feel a need to repent. That's sad. Bob was dying. Bob was lost. And Bob didn't have a need or a burden in his soul to repent. He, he knew enough to come where the preaching of the word could be heard. But his heart was hard and calloused and cold and lifeless. Brother Mark in, in our class today talked about a heart that you, took, that you take out of animals when in biology you dissect a heart. And those of you, that young people that are taking biology, when you took the heart of perhaps a, a fetal pig out or a frog, did you feel that heart? That heart was hard. That heart couldn't pump blood because it was hard. I pray that in Bob's last moments, Bob came to terms with his creator, but we don't know. Can you imagine A man, knowing he's dying, knowing the truth, and not feeling a need to repent, it happens. It happens because for years, the Holy Spirit spoke to Bob, and Bob couldn't care less. Bob would read the scriptures, and it didn't stir his soul. I wonder where Bob is. The next man I want to share with you, his name was Jim, actually his name was James Brown. We called him Brownie, his friends called him Brownie. Brownie didn't grow up in a believing home. Brownie spent his life in riotous living. More than one wife, going through life carefree and pretty much making a mess of everything in brownie's life brownie ended up at a retirement center not far from our church and we learned that brownie had cancer and the way brownie first said it was brownie said you know it's like going on a journey you don't know when you're leaving and you don't know where you're going When Brownie said that, some of us, the Lord stirred our hearts, and and the folks in Syracuse prayed for Brownie, invited Brownie. Brownie started coming to church, and Brownie got weaker and weaker. And I remember going to visit Brownie once at the retirement center, and I said, Brownie, you need to let God heal your soul. Brownie, you're dying. Are you ready to meet God? And Brownie said, David, I know that I need to be right with God. You see, my grandmother, Brownie was raised by his grandmother, my grandmother used to read out of the Bible and tell me the same things you people preach down the church, down at the church, down the street. And he said, My aunt used to say the same things. And they were people a lot like you. And I know that's the way, but I don't know how. There's so much I need to do, and I don't have time. I said, Brownie, it's not that hard. Just ask God to accept you, ask God to allow His Son to come into your heart. And the blood of. I said, Brownie, the price is paid. There's not much you have to do, but let God do the work, and he will. And Brownie got weaker and weaker and ended up in the hospital. And I went to the hospital, with other, and other brothers did too. We sat with Brownie, and here was poor Brownie. Not even the strength to speak oftentimes. Body racked with pain. He was dying of, of I think it was bladder cancer. But Brownie's heart was soft. He hadn't rejected God long. He he was sincere, and he knew he had a need. And the message was always the same for Brownie. Brownie, it's not that hard. Just ask God to come into your heart, and he'll cleanse you. And he'll give you a peace that passes all understanding. Easter morning. One of our brothers went to now the old folks home, a a geriatric center where basically Brownie's going to die. And Brownie understood. And Brownie was able to surrender his life to the master. And on Easter morning... Before Brownie awoke, the Lord confirmed Brownie's relationship with him with a dream where he saw his mother, or his grandmother that raised him and his aunt welcoming him. And Brownie was full of life that day. And that became part of our Easter message in Syracuse. And some of us went out after church to sing a few hymns around Brownie's bed the man was beaming and the man turned to my dad and he said Bob I got it didn't I I got it he understood the simple truth the simple plan of salvation that is the price has been paid just accept it and Brownie a few days later was able to go home where's Bob Verse 6, Jesus starts another parable. And he said, A certain man had a fig tree that he planted in the vineyard, and he sought fruit thereon and found none. You know, it's perfectly normal for the keeper of the vineyard to expect fruit on his trees. And he was okay the first year when there wasn't any fruit. Fine. And he went the second year and no fruit. Finally, the third year, he was out of patience. He said to the keeper of the vineyard, Cut it down. I'm done. I've wasted enough time here. This is not gonna work. That branch is not gonna bear fruit. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? Why is it taking up soil and space and nourishment and nutrients that should go to the other plants that want to bear fruit? But in the tenderness that only the master could offer, he said, but wait, wait, give it a year. Give it a year. Let me dig about it. Let me fertilize it. Please give me a year. And then, if it does not bear fruit, we'll cut it down. You see, dear ones, there is always an end of the road. And the question that we need to ask ourselves is, my friend outside of Christ, how many of you were here last year? Was that your year? Is this your year? What will you do with Jesus who knocks, who calls, who in tenderness and gentleness urges you To simply give up the fight. Give up the fight. You know what's right or you wouldn't be here. You know the way. It's not hard. Brownie is an old man, feeble, breathing the last few breaths of life. Got it. How many of you have heard it from your youth? see this banner? I'm not artistic at all. I don't have an artistic bone in my body. I read a blueprint and I make things. Somebody designs it, I can make it. I can design things too, but they got to all be, you know, symmetrical and square. I can't do these things. But folks, I'd like to draw your attention to the grapevine over there. Now, I didn't talk to the brother to ask him if I'm correct in my interpretation. But do you see something up on the upper branch that's kind of white? Underneath that banding is a graft. And there's a cluster of grapes that's smaller than the others, but there's fruit. We know that Jesus said, I am the vine, ye are the branches my friend outside of christ you have the opportunity to be grafted in not a separate not a separate vine not a separate plant grafted in do you see the fruit that's growing from the vine those two larger clumps beautiful clumps of grapes ripe fruit for the master Do you see the smaller cluster? Beautiful cluster of grapes. Not as many, but just as beautiful. My friend, outside of Christ, why not be that clump of grapes? Why not allow Jesus, who has already paid the price, to take your life, to take your heart, to strip it of everything that doesn't belong there? so that he can press that heart up to his heart, so that the nourishment that flows through him can flow through your heart and graft you into the vine, and you will bear fruit. I'm not a vineyard keeper. I have some grapevines, and they bear fruit. Not as many as Brother Walter's back home. You See, Brother Walter gives me all my grapevines. Brother Walter knows how to graft. And to graft in a branch onto a vine, there's pain for the plant. You See, the first thing that has to happen is that the main vine has to be cut. Has to be exposed, opened up. Has to become vulnerable to the ills of the world, the poisons, the viruses, the bacterias, the whatever happens to plants. And then the branch that's going to be grafted in also has to be cut and exposed. And life from the vine will flow out. There will be sap coming out of the grapevine. And there will be sap that comes out of the branch. And those cuts have to be lined up, have to be held together with bands until the plant can grow to be one. And of that cluster of grapes, the grafted in grape cannot exist without the vine. It hurt the vine to allow the graft to be attached. My friend, outside of Christ, it hurt the master so that you would have the opportunity to be grafted in. He had to die. Blood was shed. Life sprang forth so that we could live. What does it cost on our part? Well, everything and nothing. You have to give up. What's worthless, anyways, which is your life? And you say, oh, but that's not true, Brother David. I have a great life. You do? Where's your happiness come from? I hope not the stock market over the last few years. Maybe it's your new car, mm-hmm, till it starts to rust. You see, the day you take that new car out of the showroom, it starts losing value, because I don't think any of you can buy cars that appreciate in value and every mile you drive it is one mile closer to the end when that car will be scrap maybe it's a relationship oh yes brother I have such a good life I have I have a girlfriend and we're in love and we're gonna put a life together and we're gonna have children and 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 we're gonna have the perfect relationship yeah right no you're not how do I know that look at the world You don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that happiness is not going to be found in this world. If it were, why would there be so many people trying to escape it, trying to escape reality? Did you ever notice what's happened to to sporting competition in the world? There used to be a baseball season. That's an old sport. Probably started in April and ended in late September, early October. Only played it during the daytime. Now they play it at night. Now we can start the first of April, whether there's snow or not, maybe even we'll... And you know what? We may start it earlier. We're going to go to Japan first. And it's no problem if that season runs over, maybe even into November if we have to. Oh, by the way, football started in August. Um, Let's see, hockey starts in September. Stanley Cup is in June. The NBA starts in October. The NBA Finals are over within June. Then there's golf. All that we can golf. There's NASCAR, NASCAR's a rapidly growing sport. It's kind of cool. I don't understand how they call those stock cars, but it's kind of cool. Dear ones, there's nothing wrong with those sports, except for the fact they're an escape from reality. And the devil has seen fit that they overlap so much that there is not a time or a day that you can't pick up a sports page Or go down to the store and pick up any of the specialty newspapers and fill your mind with not things that are bad, but they're things. Why? Because reality is not that cool. Reality is lousy. It's a drag. So don't tell me life is good. Where do we find joy? We find joy in the Lord. We rejoice in and find our joy in our salvation, which is Jesus Christ. And then, so, you, so maybe you give in and you say, you know what, David, you're right. You're absolutely right. But you see, I'm different from everybody else. And I can't do it. I've tried. You might be right. You might have tried. And guess what? You can't do it. You can't, but it's not up to you. The price has been paid. All you need to do is say, as as the scriptures tell us, Lord, be merciful unto me, a sinner. I know that sounds simplistic, but that's all it is. It's not hard. But you have to mean it. And you have to be willing to say goodbye to your old life. It took me a while to do that. It took me longer than it needed to. I spoke with a young lad last night. And I said, you know, when I was 15 years old, I made a beginning. And I didn't stick with it. And when I was 17, I started again. And then I stuck with it. But you know what? All my restitutions were things I did after I made that first beginning and turned away. Oh, how my life would have been so much better had I just given up at 15 but I thought that I could do it until one night when I was 17 when I laid in my bed so sick and tired of who I was and I finally said Lord I can't I've tried I've failed and you know what God didn't say I told you so if you'd have listened to me before you could have saved yourself he didn't He stood there with his arms out, waiting for me. And when I fell on my face in the dirt, he picked me up and brushed me off and said, Now let me do it. You say, I still can't. Well, the scripture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 24 says, Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. The faithful one that calls you will do it. Is it going to hurt? You bet it's going to hurt. Why does it have to hurt? It has to hurt. Because me, myself and I, has to come apart. There can't be anything left of me because, you see, that's worthless and it's bad. And somebody says, but but why do we have to go through the restitutions? Isn't that almost like God is punishing us? Dear ones, no, God is not punishing you with restitutions. He's loving you. He's giving you opportunities To unburden yourself of things that if you don't get them out in the open, the devil will beat you with for years. When we make a restitution, maybe maybe it's we got to go and we got to ask mom and dad forgiveness. You know, mom and dad forgave you already, they just want you to come. Not so that they can say, I told you so. So that they can hold you in their arms and pray with you and tell you how much they love you and how thankful they are that you're letting the Lord heal you and graft you in. Some, and the devil said to me once, when I had, I had to go and confess my sins, I had to, and I had to do that to my dad, And I went to bed that night, and and I knew that was something I had to do. And for some reason, my dad couldn't sleep. Well, I know why he couldn't sleep, because the Lord wouldn't give him rest that night. My dad was down in the family room, and, and the Holy Spirit said, David, get up out of bed, go down two flights of stairs, and just talk to your dad. And the devil said, you can't do it! And the Holy Spirit said, why not? What's stopping you? Get up. Out of bed. Put one foot in front of the other and walk. There isn't anything that can stop you from going. My friend, the devil's a liar. He wants you to believe that you're trapped, that you got no way out. He's a liar. He tells you you can't do it. He's right about that. You can't, but Christ can and did. Philippians Chapter 1, verse 6, Be confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Who's going to perform it? He is. Who's he? He that had begun the work in you, the Holy Spirit. My friend, don't overcomplicate it. My friend that's been here before, why wait? Brother Walt talked the other night about the patient. That the Lord touched his heart and said, you got to go witness to that patient. The patient had 24 hours. That's all. The Lord's arms are outstretched now. Why wait? We're going ha- to sing some hymns. We're going to have an inspiration time. Folks are going to come up here and they're going to pour out their soul. The Lord's going to use them. The truth will go forth in the end. You're going to be offered an opportunity to stay behind, counsel with somebody. Don't get up. Don't walk out. You may never have a chance to walk back in. none of us might get that chance. The door of grace is open today. Today, when you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Careless soul, why will you linger, wandering from the fold of God? Hear you not the invitation? Oh, prepare to meet thy God. Why so thoughtless are you standing While the fleeting years go by, and your life is spent in folly, Oh, prepare to meet thy God. Hear you not the earnest pleadings of your friends that wish you well. Perhaps before tomorrow you'll be called to meet your God. If you spurn the invitation till the Spirit shall depart, then you'll see your sad condition unprepared to meet thy God. May the Lord add his blessing to his word.